on today's show. You get a call at five o'clock from a friend of mine who's in entertainment. He says, oh man, uh, you better watch The Daily Show tonight. <laughs> like, what? Of all the people in the world yeah. who's watching this thing, yeah, the John right. Stewart team? And so that's what it does. He says, today at the White House, it was hilarious. And he just endless loop of me laughing. And it was all embarrassing. Like this guy didn't know what he was doing. It's like, you know, Keystone cops at the White House. But he ends with, what's so funny, Indian George Clooney. And so you're like, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to walk. I was in the senior staff. Did your wife like dig that though? I mean, well, like, that's kind of. They were all mortified. My family's mortified that I fumbled my national right, debut right. and embarrassed the president, frankly. And so. Uh, I walk in, I was in a senior staff meeting the next, every morning at 8.30, the senior staff, about 25 people gather in the Roosevelt room and they debate the degree to which, uh, you know, issues of the day matter and mm -hmm. make sure everyone's on the same page. So I walk in scared to death mm -hmm. and they're going to say, how dare you embarrass this right. administration? You screwed this thing up. And I remember vividly, you know, Rahm Emanuel, who's quite, you know, yeah, he's not to the point. Yeah. He's not, you know. Anyway, he, he just sort of says, Indian George Clooney. <laughs> and so I start laughing. Everyone's laughing, and it was great. Five, four, three, two, one, one. Welcome to the Creator Institute Podcast. Your host, Eric Coster. Welcome, 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 everyone, to today's show. You guys are going to get to meet a friend of mine, someone I've had the privilege to get to know for the past couple of years, Anish Chopra. And Anish is incredibly understated. He's an entrepreneur working on a very cool problem, trying to kind of solve some of the issues in healthcare. But but his beginnings are pretty amazing. Uh, Anish was the first CTO of the entire United States of America under Barack Obama and had some incredible adventures and stories. We'll hear about some of the adventures, including how he got named by Jon Stewart, the Indian George Clooney, which is a hilarious story. I love it. You'll hear how uh, Dwayne Wade uh, sent a message through him to get to play basketball with Obama, some crazy things. But what I love about uh, Anish's story is that he details how he wrote a book and that book actually helped him form the entire plan for what is now his startup. He really did follow this process of, of going deep on a problem through a book and using that to become what ultimately is today his startup that is now serving millions of patients and all sorts of really interesting things. Anish is fun. He's uh, really understated and uh, he is handsome, hence the uh, Indian George Clooney. But I think you're going to love it. We had a great time chatting about his adventures now and how his life in the White House, his life um, even as a politician and ultimately as an author helped color what he gets to do today. Anish Chopra, everyone, enjoy the chat. All right. Anish Chopra, my man. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. This is, uh, I've always loved when we get back together because yes. it feels like so many things have happened. Like we're sort of like these, there's all this stuff happening. Yes. Then we get back together and then magic happens and we come back and it's it's a it's a thing. So the country's moving forward. That's the other best news. We're making, it is, we're making it progress. Is. We got deviations on some aspects, but but some support for the uh, the startup eco economy is continuing, and uh, it's just it's fun. Did it's you ever fun. think you'd be an entrepreneur? Like you 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 know you sort of came from this big policy. Yeah. So came, well, this big you came from sort of government. Government. Well, no, you were in like you were in private enterprise. I was. I spent a decade at the advisory board. Yeah. And then uh, government where you were like the man. I was having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. no, I um, I always felt that the key to solving problems was to unleash entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and that several will find the magic formula and we yep. can scale what works. And so 
enough of my commentary about it. Um, I reached a pinnacle where I ran for office under the presumption that I would try to call to action this army of entrepreneurs to solve problems. And uh, when I came in second place in my race, uh, I was uh, committed to uh, bringing my ideas to life, not as the evangelist encouraging the entrepreneur, mm-hmm but to be an exemplar exemplar entrepreneur mm-hmm. of taking advantage of the opportunities that we see now to build companies on the on the opportunities that are born out of the opening up of government. So do you, do, you, do you appreciate the work you did with Startup America kind of yeah. in building these yeah. communities and ecosystems more now that you're in the game? Well, I love it because uh, I took for granted whenever you're sitting in a position, I was President Obama's chief technology officer, and you report directly to the President of the United States. You've got this unbelievable home like, court advantage. You sort of understated that. You it were is, like, you're like a, you're like a, a big deal. I don't know. I was like, like you. I'm not a big deal, but it was. I had a role that was particularly yeah. larger than life. That's right. Uh, and the and the, the first two. Do you get I like had, a special badge or something? Uh, yeah, like that, there's a little like, coin I get. It, is right? right? Yeah. Do you get a tattoo? You should get like a tattoo should, or something. Exactly. That says, like maybe a neck one. Yeah. CTE. Just badass something <laughs> i don't know no the uh you you think washington you know you call a meeting right ceos drop what they're doing and within 24 hours they're in washington mm-hmm. that's for the president not for the cto but you get the basic yeah. metaphor and what i realized in the startup america movement was that we think people are listening to the words coming out of our mouth and that oh everybody knows we're launching this initiative right where right. are all the entrepreneurs why right. are they not participating and it was so obvious that like we needed to get out there and educate people, mostly reach them in their community as opposed to uh, waiting for them to come to Washington. So when Startup America was uh, conceived, it was a call to action by President Obama. The first theory was, let's celebrate entrepreneurs. And that was of any variety, entrepreneurs who were making photo apps or fixing some restaurant need or whatever. And I was playing the role of, wait, I got a specific homework assignment by the president. We need to close the innovation gap in health, energy, education, um, financial access to the small poor. Things. Small things. Yeah. I said, hey, while there's this evangelism going on and we're celebrating people, yep. what if we like tapped into the subset of those folks who were looking to solve these problems? Mm-hmm. I bet there's a separate and more robust conversation worth having, which is what barriers or opportunities are there for you to bring your new ideas to life in helping the poor rise up and to create economic opportunity. So that was a two-way dialogue. And what was great in my view is that um, I understood and felt some degree of humility that there's a lot of uh, improvement that needs to be done. And now that I'm on the other side, I see why on earth <laughs> is the government not doing this? Right, this? Right, right. Who are those yeah. people? And how dare they not make this easier? This yeah. makes no sense. So I'm seeing things at a much more granular level right, right. that had I seen on the front end, I would have been more aware to tackle those issues. Often I sit at this high level yeah, yeah. and sometimes it's the day-to-day where right. there's the need and the friction. Right. So it's, I, I mean, it's, it's exciting. It's, it is, right? And I think, I think even... I would say, because we we first met in San Francisco very briefly, That's I remember, right. long, long, many moons ago. Yes. And it was interesting because I think it, you were with Eric Reese and it was, and we met. And I remember at the time, like Eric was this newfangled thing. They don't even really know like, why the hell does the government have a CTO? And I think what's amazing is we may think about all these whatever problems, but sort of amazing how much things have advanced yeah. in the last, was that like less than 10 years? Yeah, eight, and eight, now seven, there's a conversation. Years. If you're a governor, a mayor, a head of state, and you don't have a CTO-like right. role, right. 
the political debate is why not? Right. right. Where is this person? Right. right. And that's kind of a fascinating thing. We didn't know that we needed it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure uh, it's been fully vetted in terms of exactly what you would do if you had a person in that role. Right. Um, I was Virginia's fourth secretary of technology. Oh, we really? I didn't know that. Uh, three governors, but four uh, fourth secretary because some were replacing within cycle. The first governor had asked his secretary of technology to be a marketing evangelist. Mm-hmm. Go tell Silicon Valley to set up their shop in Northern Virginia yeah. because that's where the action is. So, and I'm overstating it, but basically yeah. a celebratory technology-based economic development executive. Right. Wildly successful. Virginia became a real linchpin for a lot of these tech firms. Second governor, Governor Warner, said, well, I want to flip the switch, mostly focusing Mm in-house. We're not using technology to do the day-to-day of government. Interesting. We're using outdated uh, computer systems, mainframes. Our security is weak. Our data management is poor. So we've got to do some basic blocking and tackling. So let's upgrade the infrastructure. 10-year, $2 billion partnerships, all managed by the CTO. So the CTO was like a marketing agent on the one hand and then an operational excellence on the other. And then my role, Governor Kane said, well, all that's well and good, but I've, I've, I was elected to fix transportation, right, healthcare, right. education, the environment. Yeah. I've got cabinet secretaries who are experts in each of these areas. Anish, pair up with Interesting. them to make sure that they're fully properly ex, uh, ex, extrapolating the value of technology, data, and innovation to do their job. So don't do their job. Right. Partner in the use of technology to advance what they think needs to be done. Mm. So he called me sort of the chief collaboration officer in a way because it was technology in support of a mission as opposed to unto itself. And that was really the strategy President Obama embraced. So while, again, I was CTO reported to the president like I did the governor, uh, it was really the collaboration aspects of finding Secretary Arne Duncan and then launching the Open Education mm-hmm. Data Initiative and Open Health Data Initiative with Secretary uh, Sebelius at the time and, and, and her deputy, Todd Park, who... Uh, was my successor. So yeah. anyway, we go on and on, but that that idea of in service to, hmm. that says to me, everyone, no matter what their stripe is, has a problem they want solved. Yeah. And they think they have diagnosed the problem because they're experts in the issue and they think they know how they're going to tackle it, but then they haven't properly vetted all that the new technologies and innovations right. are available to make them do what they think they were going to do otherwise, more complicated, do it more easily hmm. and, and at much lower cost. So that's the vision. Yeah. What was it like to get that call when you're like, hey, I'd like you to come in? And I mean, it's got to be a crazy sort of like remember forever, right? Like I. Well, it was an odd bird for me because I was recruited to the transition team by a gentleman named Julius Janikowski. Julius had been the president's law school classmate and buddy, had had led the technology strategy for the campaign and had been rumored to naturally be the candidate for for CTO. Mm -hmm. And really, we agreed to work for him in the context of writing up his job description and telling him what uh, the role could be. So I actually spent my time in the transition looking to be CTO of the Department of Health and Human Services. Oh, really? Is that right? For sure. (laughs) And I think I got the job on day one, but there was a bit of a wrinkle. Uh, It was Tom Daschle who was nominated and then had this hiccup on the confirmation process. Now it seems quaint that he barely handled some... (laughs) misallocation of some right. forms. Yeah, exactly. he, 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 you know, I don't know. In in hindsight, you know, was that a bar, you know, having Tom Daschle in versus out, you know, big challenge. So 
I was uh, not in any hurry. I was going to wait for the new Secretary of Health to be named. I was in Virginia anyway, doing my job for Governor Kane because we were still, you know, in in our cabinet role. And uh, the new secretary came in and we arranged the next steps. I actually was basically told, hey, Anish, uh, expect to come in on Friday. We're going to give you a call. We think we're going to move forward. This is led by the deputy secretary. Mm -hmm. So I I was like, great. At Friday at four, I'm going to get this call. Yay or nay. I feel good about it. I'm super excited. Governor Kane had spoken to Governor Sebelius. I felt like, wow, this is all lined up. At noon, I get a call from the chief of staff to the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which is the office that ultimately held the the CTO. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Jim called and says, Anish, uh, it's a noon call. He says, hey, can you come to the White House on Monday? I'm like, oh man, (laughs) I thought I'm getting the offer on four. Now you're adding more hoops. Do I have to go? Can I just accept the job? (laughs) And he goes, no, no, I can't tell you, but but just come by on Monday. Just come by. Monday? Not everyone gets a call like just to come by the White House. Come by the White House. So, uh, Mostly chief of staff and stakeholders around the chief of staff was the round of meetings Monday. Tuesday, they say, come back. You're going to be um, vetted for all the legality stuff. Did you cheat on your wife? Right. Did you beat up uh, yeah. babies? Did yeah. you like? So they ask you these terrible questions in vetting. And then uh, Wednesday, uh, they're deliberating whether they're going to extend me an offer. And then of all people, Senator Mark Warner calls, who's my mentor. Mm-hmm. And says, look, uh, I just spoke to the president and he was evaluating you and basically said, you're in. And so, uh, you know, you haven't heard it yet, but you're, you know, he, he's probably filming the YouTube video right now. Anyway, I'll fast forward. But uh, on my 15th anniversary for Johns Hopkins, it was that Saturday. Uh, and of course, I found out in between that I got the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of all my peers, the YouTube video by the president comes out and it says, today I'm announcing the new CTO, whatever. Wow. And so the president of the university stops our luncheon and it's like, by the way, news just broke, blah, blah, blah. And it was great. It's awesome. Anyway, it's a lot awesome. of fun. Hilarious. But like four months of like back and forth policy discussions to four days of intense scrutiny. Yeah. And boom, on the team. Did you ever get, uh, speaking of on the team, I know that there was like this sort of like uh, ongoing pickup basketball game. Did you ever get invited <laughs> to play? Is no. That like, I mean, uh, you know. My claim to fame of, 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 of just a few is that uh, you have many claim to fame, by the way? I wrote a book with my colleague and college roommate uh, Ethan Skolnick, who actually is a sports writer. So Ethan uh, tells me in the course of just our daily catch-ups, he says, "Hey, I saw Dwayne Wade, D Wade, and he was bumming out because he hadn't been invited by President Obama to pick up to play pickup basketball." Hmm. So Chicago guys too. So I'm a, a Dwayne Wade into Marquette. So I'm a there Marquette you go. fan and uh, Chicago guy. Well, I will say, uh, thanks to Ethan's feedback, I called Reggie Love, who was the president's uh, body man. Yeah. And next thing I know, D Wade is playing pickup <laughs> ball. I think Alonzo Morning was in that day. Really? So it was Alonzo, D Wade, the president. Wow. Reggie. Uh, I was not invited. No. But uh, I facilitated. You did facilitate. I facilitated. You, you were like the agent in that pit oh, point. Oh, right? Dwayne, You made man, stuff happen. Love. Yeah, yeah great. I, that, he's my favorite player. So I think you uh, you did great work there. Thank I, you. I mean, you- I'm a, I'm I a, bring people together. That's the job. That's kind of the job, right? You're the collaborator in chief. That's right. In some ways. That's right. Um, that's pretty amazing. Is in- did you ever think like, I mean, you had to be surprised that kind of there was this sort of the timing of it too, right? Like being yeah. the CTO and then kind of this, the, the technology world sort of explodes yes. during this time. I mean, while you're CTO or around that time, Facebook goes public. Yes. Twitter becomes this thing that becomes mass market. So yes. you're sort of like 
the forces converge. Um, you're like on the Daily Show and stuff. Like things yeah. are happening that like probably because you know I mean I'm sure like technology stuff was sort of like happened, but it didn't happen in like such a public face as during that window. Well, and I will say um, the timing was fascinating when the Arab Spring was underway. Uh, Twitter had not yet reached the kind of scale that we had right. now know it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Secretary of State's team under Alec Ross's leadership and Jared Cohen. Alec now, by the way, candidate for governor in Maryland. I just spoke to Alec uh, a couple weeks ago. Great guy. Yeah. Alec uh, and Jared uh, intervene to make sure they don't go down. And they were basically going down for updates or whatever, you know, maintenance, right in the middle of the Arab Spring. Interesting. So, <laughs> so you have this public policy yeah. technology collaboration going on. And, you know, what do you call that? Right. Is that a government procurement? Right. No, we right. didn't buy Twitter services. Right. We were encouraging and collaborating. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all the old playbooks of you buy technology or you regulate technology, they didn't really envision this new concept of a collaborative model where uh, you're working on standards, you're working on the use of data, open data, you're working on innovation and platforms for prizes Mm -hmm. and competitions to democratize uh, problem solvers getting access to the government. So all of that's happening in the uh, first term of the Obama administration. And it's fascinating. And now we're seeing it, like like I said, it's now a new arm of government. It's a, it's a a whole method of problem solving that, that is uh, it's not left versus right. It's really uh, kind of problem solvers versus naysayers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, so I have a funny fact for you. So I to, to prepare for this, I, I Google the person, right? I always like Google. Okay. So I Google you. Uh-oh. And I then I was trying to like find something witty. And so of the first 20 instances, uh, could you want to guess how many times uh, your uh, the John Stewart quote about you was, was in it? So, <laughs> so John Stewart famously calls you the... Indian George Clooney. Yeah. Right. So you want to guess of the 20, how many I found that that article referenced you in that way? One or two, I guess. A four, four of the 20. Wow. So you, it is sort of, it's become almost like your tagline that you may, you just may need to own this. Well, I, I, uh, it's a flattering and completely <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, the real story is that you, I thought I was going to lose my job. Really? For sure. <laughs> the, 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 the context is uh, the White House communications shop is very managed. Mm-hmm. Who speaks on behalf of the president? You have to be super trained, and in know, particular in that White House too. I mean, well, we were of, we had a well-run yeah, operation. Yeah. Things so are a little there different. was no going rogue, <laughs> and so you know, policy advisors do their job by write yeah. memos, give yeah. advice, you know, go to meetings. I bet you write kick-ass memos. Oh, I wrote. Yeah, my yeah. wife would call me chief memo officer. <laughs> These memo are writer. poetry. Uh, but look, here's the bottom line: the president on day one said, "I want to have." a more open and transparent government. Mm -hmm. And he directs the CTO and the director of his management budget office to come up with a plan. Mm -hmm. And so we were going to release that plan in December. And so they thought, hey, wouldn't that be fun? Live webcast from Mm. the White House. Kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, we're giddy about the idea. We've been working on this thing for months. Like we know the content cold. And it's like, cool, we're going to announce this live. And 10 people are going to be watching the webcast. But it'll be fun. Right. And so- Everything's fun up until uh, my colleague and my best friend, my colleague Macon and my best friend Vivek Kundra, who's like a brother to me. Mm-hmm. He was CIO. Macon ran digital strategy. The light goes on that says the camera is live. This isn't like a recording where I can hit yeah. pause and start over. And apparently I was up first to kind of welcome everybody and make the statement. And oh my goodness, I blanked. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'll just hit stop. 
and we'll start all over again. Yeah. And then in my head, I'm thinking, you can't hit stop. You can't hit stop. You're live. You're live. So now all I'm doing is in my head, thinking about the tragedy that is unfolding and before my eyes, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, how I'm saying it. So I just start laughing (laughs) uncontrollably. And I had no idea like why my brother wouldn't rescue me and cut it off after a few seconds. Say, well, as Anisha's saying, and boom, he could finish my sentences. I could finish his. Mm -hmm. Well, he just stares at me in the video for a good minute and a half until I finally compose myself stabilize and then carry on for 45 minutes into a really productive, just the facts, ma'am right, thing. Right. So the first couple minutes were like weird and yeah. people are like, Hey, is Anisha okay? Yeah. Everything fine. Yeah. When we wrap up, I was embarrassed and I apologized to you. They're like, Oh, Anish, don't worry about it. Whatever. It's 10 fine. people. Saw 10 people. Thing. It's fine. I get a call at five o'clock from a friend of mine who's in entertainment. He says, Oh man, uh, you better watch the daily show tonight. <laughs> like What? Of all the people in the world yeah. who's watching this thing, yeah, the John right. Stewart team. And so that's what it does. He says, today at the White House, it was hilarious. And he just endless loop of me laughing. And it was all embarrassing. Like this guy right. didn't know what he was doing. It's like, you know, Keystone Cops at the White House. But he ends with, what's so funny, Indian George Clooney. And so you're like, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to walk. I was in the senior staff. Did your you- wife like dig that though? I mean, well, like that's kind of. They were all mortified. My family's mortified that I fumbled my national right, debut right. and embarrassed the president, frankly. And so uh, I walk in, I was in a senior staff meeting. The next, Every morning at 8.30, the senior staff, about 25 people gather in the Roosevelt Room and they debate the degree to which, uh, you know, issues of the day matter and mm-hmm. make sure everyone's on the same page. So I walk in scared to death mm-hmm. and they're going to say, how dare you embarrass this right. administration? You screwed this thing up. And I remember vividly, you know, Rahm Emanuel, who's quite, you know, yeah, he's not to the point. Yeah. He's not, you know, anyway, he, he just sort of says Indian George Clooney. <laughs> and so I start laughing. Everyone's laughing and it was great. And so uh, once that once that ice was broken, that I didn't embarrass the president, I didn't reflect poorly on the administration. Uh, it was great. And so now it's it's a tagline and it's hilarious. And obviously it's not true on the physical side. But I'll take it. You're you handsome. Know, my, wife so, I mean, will, my, yeah. my wife will take it. It's yeah, great. We'll it's take, pretty. It's pretty we'll fun. It's, we'll uh, so so uh, uh, it had to be a quite a, quite a, something that you'll sort of never forget, right? Yeah. Uh, does did it did it make you appreciate the office of the president's more than you sort of? I mean, because you now have an inside look, yeah. and not few people get to see that level of detail and sort of scrutiny and structure and all that so, stuff. So imagine the hardest decision you've had to make this year. Mm-hmm. Now imagine a 30-minute meeting where it's presented to you and you have to render judgment, not once, but eight times in a given day, every day. Hmm. What you don't appreciate is that the president doesn't have a lot of free time to just, you know, shoot, shoot the breeze, yeah. what's going right, on, right, how right. are things. When, a, when, a, when an item is presented to the president, it's because the advisors around the president could not reach consensus, that it was so hard to reconcile competing priorities and values. Mm -hmm. So uh, I appreciated the brilliance of President Obama because he prepared for every one of these very difficult decisions Mm -hmm. by reading the material we presented in advance. When we showed up, he knew exactly how to bring out the tough questions. He posed exactly the issues, surfaced them in a manner that uh, would render the best decision-making. And he had to become an expert on every subject every half hour. Hmm. That's unbelievably hard. Yeah. And a gift 
that we had in President Obama. And I would imagine all presidents having to grapple in this right, same way. Right. But in our administration, I can tell you whenever, and it was rare, whenever there were issues I worked on that required, like, usually tech is not con controversial. So mm -hmm. we just sail through. The idea right. is like, a, you know, you don't have to waste his time. It's like, yeah. fine, get it. But when there was a debate, he knew exactly where I was most anxious about the argument because hmm. even I was having a hard time to make the case. Mm -hmm. You knew exactly where that weakness was and he went right after it to hmm. try to drill it out mm -hmm. and, and help uh, bring people together. So to me, there's something awe-inspiring about a person that could take on that role mm -hmm. and the kind of brain power that it requires to do it well. Yeah. And we were blessed, I think, in the Obama administration to have such a hero in that role. It does remind me a little bit, I mean, not to that degree, like these are not life and death decisions, but a little bit of being uh, the co-founder or CEO, you know, sort of the CEO. Presumably. It's not, not to yeah. the same degree, but like the, the you fact You have to make a hundred choices. A hundred decisions every day sort yeah. of thing. And yeah. and everyone, you know, like- it's, They're consequential. It, right. So I'm sure in some ways that has sort of must, whether you sort of internalize it or not, yeah. I'm sure that ability to kind of like quickly- Render judgment. Make decisions. And you sort of make them all the time without the, with the, the absence of perfect information. That's right. And That's right. You know, nine times it's the skill set of a great CEO yeah. is the capacity to absorb limited information and render the best judgment you can mm -hmm. given the, you mm -hmm. know, you go to war with the army you have. This right. is the Rumsfeld quote, right? right. So you make yeah. the decisions with the information you have. Right. So it's, uh, so I like, so our, our mutual friend, Scott Case always says about startups, which I, I love this is he says, the best analogy is like being a high school football coach. Yes. Because you go to, you can't like recruit other players. You basically have to you put have in the, the offense you that you have and you're going to have like the short kid. And so, or, and you're going to have, you know, no quarterback you can't throw. So you're freaking option running, you know, the option uh, offense at that point. You got it. Which I think is kind of a fun truth. You just... You know, you, you, got you, got. What you, got. <laughs> you got what you got. You got what you got. So I do want to talk a little bit about your, uh, this interplay that's, I think, fascinating about the book you wrote and yes. the startup you now run. Yes. And how they kind of fit together. Because I think it's, we talk a lot about the power of a book in terms of focusing the mind on what matters and what you learn yes. and think. And in some ways, you kind of wrote your own <laughs> plan for, for the startup today. So talk a little bit about the the book and and how it's kind of, you know, change the way you think a little bit? Well, uh, first, a little bit of rewind, which is uh, when I was in Virginia before I went to the White House, Governor Kane was a Democrat with a very Republican legislature. Mm -hmm. Governor Kane is a Democrat, mm -hmm. I should say. And in the tech space, we probably worked together on about 20 plus bills that he ultimately signed into law. Wow, that's a lot. Well, uh, the point in that, well, thank you for the light, you know, that, that, that yeah. it was a productive time. Mm -hmm. The point was a Republican had to sponsor the bill for mm. the most part. We had out of the 20 plus bills, one was a democratically sponsored mm. bill, just because when you're in the minority, it's hard to get your ideas through. Right. So uh, we had to come up with a way to work together across the aisle. And what struck me then more so at the White House was that for a lot of these issues, the normal left, right divide didn't quite apply. Mm. And so it was hard to explain, like, is what I'm doing like a talking point for a Democratic case to why we should be electing Democrats? Hmm. Maybe. But a Republican could say the same things hmm. and they'd be doing the same work. Mm -hmm. So- And it was sort of across the board. Yeah. Data, innovation, technology, yeah. te education, yeah. tech policy. So you, those could, you, could, uh, you could say, we may violently disagree about the future of healthcare in the context of who pays for the uninsured, mm -hmm. but you can agree 
that we should modernize the system right. so we reduce waste. Technology will is a great equalizer in solving things. It, and, it has the potential to. Right. So, so the question <laughs> yes, is, that's a good, right? How? Yeah. Uh, so there's work. It's not like it magically happens. You got to work and you get it right. So when I uh, when I was thinking about the next chapter of my life, uh, I'd been somewhat uh, anxious that a lot of the things we'd worked on that are tech related mm -hmm. are really state issues. Mm -hmm. And we at the federal level kind of enabled it. Hmm. So you want to change your energy policy. Well, who regulates the utilities? It's the state. Right. You want to really get into healthcare. Who regulates the doctors, hospitals, the insurance programs? It's the state. Yep. And ditto Education, for schools. Yep. So you look at the big three issues of our generation and it's like, wow, this thing is clearly uh, going to be done at the state level. So I thought, okay, how can I find a way to support states in a manner where we um, we don't fight all the time, mm -hmm. but we actually come together? Right. So I said, okay, if I could run for lieutenant governor of Virginia and had the opportunity to uh, bring these ideas forward, while there might have been a partisan battle at the governor level, we might reach coalitions on a whole range of issues that may take a decade to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about it. I said, how can I make the case that there's this non-ideological forward-looking coalition to be made. And so I wrote this book trying to outline the vision, contextualize it based on the U.S. history, and to look specifically around the tools and techniques available so that the government can get its act together in collaboration with this vibrant, dynamic, entrepreneurial private sector. And you have this piece in that. I mean, that you say yeah. in it that I think is interesting too is you almost, to your point earlier about it's not a left and right, you have this moment in the very first chapter where you say, you're writing this for bureaucrats who sort of don't lose hope almost. I think Please, I, I didn't, that's it, right. It's really interesting. I hadn't sort of processed it until you said it, but it is. These issues are not partisan. These are no. issues of like, and technology can be, be the, and innovation can be the great hope. Correct. Uh, I now see why you wrote it. It's a, but it's a powerful statement that these are just issues for our future, not. Yeah, no we, we could have a debate about who subsidizes the cost of healthcare. Right. But if we take the cost of healthcare down 30%, right. it makes that debate yeah. easier to swallow. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so, so there you go. And so punchline is, um, I wanted to capture an argument that you can't really make in a 30-second campaign ad right. or in a few minutes stump speech. Right. And so that took time. And the benefit of that process is that it helped me crystallize. I could sit in any chair at a table where I could be at the center of the table mm -hmm. as the elected official. I could be a staff person or a bureaucrat to the side that looks at where I fit to mm -hmm. solve this. We've asked the incumbent industries, the utility companies, the hospitals, the doctor's offices. Uh, and I could see myself as the entrepreneur. Yeah. If everyone's at the table really trying to optimize all these, these tools, I think we can make a big difference. So that was the kind of theory. I had written it assuming I'd be sitting at one seat in the right, table. Right. Uh, when I lost my campaign, yeah. I moved uh, seats. But And and the blessing there is that um, I had a, a, a campaign supporter who's another dear friend of mine who, who's my partner, Sanju Bunsel, who co-founded a company called MicroStrategy mm -hmm. and he'd been a wildly successful entrepreneur. Yep. And he said, look, everything you're describing we can do from the right. private sector. Change the seat. I'll support the effort. Hmm. I'll recruit your co-founder, let's put a team together. And now we've got 20 plus people sitting next out door. Humans yeah. out here cranking away. We we help uh, healthcare delivery systems that are looking to take on 
the responsibility of lowering the costs and boosting quality, these accountable care organizations. And we see them as our number one customer. Mm -hmm. And we support 48 of them in the country today, a little over a million Medicare patients that we service. And that's a a humbling and exciting uh, uh, role to play. It's awesome to watch. I mean, because I've gotten the seat from, I remember when you were first talking about the book and then you sort of were talking about the journey of the patient. and, And I was like, I believed you, but I didn't quite understand it. And then to sort of be seeing, it's like, uh, you were right. Like, I mean, you know, there's obviously changes, but like this sort of idea, you talked about this yeah. as a journey and you didn't call it a journey. No, at I the didn't. Start, right? Right, right. But you did. You always talked about it as a journey. And so it's interesting to see how that has evolved. And it's kind of cool to create it in that, that level of... Uh, it changes the dynamic when you look at a person. So the technical um, underpinning of this is there was an MIT team in the 90s that wrote a paper called The Guardian Angel. Mm. And they wrote it as an unsolicited proposal to DARPA. And they said, imagine a person that had a digital guardian angel hmm. that could consume all the data feeds that are available to that person. And you could use that in the healthcare context and beyond. So now imagine it could process all of that information and whisper in your ear mm. decisions you should make. Mm-hmm. You should see this doctor, not mm. this doctor. You should pursue that line of therapy, not this line of therapy. And that is now starting to come to life in healthcare where I'm, I'm being gu- guided through my journey, not, hey, I'm calling a doctor because I got back pain and that's right. going to go me down one road. Right. And then I've got this underlying diabetic condition. It's going to put me down a different road and they're related and they're yeah. not being treated the same way. Yeah, it's fascinating you say it too because I think it's, I think the, the technology is enabling this new way to coach humans on a personalized way. I mean, yes. I even see it with what I'm doing, right? I'm coaching these people from a, using technology to coach them towards yes. educational outcomes. Yes. I think we're going to see this big wave happening of exactly that. I'm The guardian angel is an interesting thing, but it's exactly what humans are best when they're coached. That's why in sports, it works yeah. so well. And why can't we apply this to other places? Yeah. Which is, um, so we're going to do it. We're going to see if we can bend the cost curve, improve outcomes and sort of see what we can do. Health, education. You can think of it like my child... Uh, will take a thousand standardized questions before she graduates high school. Hmm. That's the Virginia standards of learning. Mm-hmm. And maybe it drops a little bit where uh, this is all a debate. She got her smarts from her mom, so she'll do well, right? Mom, yeah. Mom's definitely giving her the smarts. Now, she'll have a different profile of what skills she's mastered and which ones she's struggling with. Imagine if every day she could p- subscribe to the uh, Khan Academy mm-hmm. where it knew exactly where her gaps were. Right. And it preloaded the films or the videos that would be meant for her to mm-hmm. close the gap. That doesn't exist today because right. you have to separately log in the they're con, right. take their exam, right. start from scratch, and they're two different frameworks. So if I had one framework and I could connect people to my mm-hmm. longitudinal repository of information, then maybe I could get better support. Mm-hmm. That's the theory. I love it. Do you think that there are things that you observed from um, now kind of working with governments yeah. that you think... Uh, sort of, you now would have gone back and advised yourself a few years for back sure. to say the change that sort of be, especially in the healthcare side. Yeah, because what what I take for granted is um, we presume when we walk in the door that government does a bunch of things yeah. and it's just doing what it does. And we're mostly focusing on what new things to do right. or changes to make. Right. We don't really appreciate the thing we've been doing for 20 years has been woefully ineffective. Hmm. And we don't get that signal as often as yeah. we could. Yeah. So. It's like a low-grade migraine that just have all the time. You don't think about it. But yeah, you really, like, because what occupies the time is what's the new thing? New thing. What's yep. the new procedure, new approach, yep. new policy? So uh, I think the new policy creation role in the White House is well-staffed, might even be overstaffed. Hmm. But the 
what are the things that we're already doing that mm. we could do better, more efficiently? That's done like less in a structured. Yeah, yeah. we're not, we're not uh, we're not cleaning up the underbrush. Right. We're we're mostly adding to the top line, if you will, new initiatives, new roles, new services. And I think in hindsight, I'd probably say we should balance that equation a bit more with like cleaning up the underbelly. Do you think that some of the stuff you guys did with USDS and 18F kind Correct. of was like help? Because it that to me, I think if you look back on the Obama administration. The legacy. 20 years from now, we may find that to be one of the biggest things that happened. Well, and, and that happened after my tenure. So, But in, you were sort of part of that whole thing in, of embracing it. So, I'll, it, you know, take a I little appreciate credit. that. Yeah. In my tenure, we ran a bunch of experiments. Right. Everything was an experiment. Yeah. We'd heard loud and clear from device manufacturers that the FDA is stifling innovation and it's cramping our style. And it was an extremely loud voice. And there were so many stories. Dean came in, who became a friend. Yeah. Dean was like... I've built this artificial limb that I can give to veterans and I can't get FDA approval because mm -hmm. it, you know it's no different than, than a walking cane or whatever, yeah. whatever the analogy yeah. was. He was angry. But here's the point. The secretary of HHS, then the commissioner of the FDA, and then the head of the device uh, division of the FDA, when you break it all down, they saw this problem. And while I was there to provide air cover, ultimately they needed a team of entrepreneurs and innovators to join hands with the entrepreneurs and innovators inside government. It's right. the marriage of the two right. that was magical. So uh, I think the experience we learned in the, we call it entrepreneurs in residence program, mm -hmm. really said, okay, any layer of government can have a team of people define a problem and bring in experts from the outside and inside to work together on the issue and make a difference. So now after healthcare.gov's fiasco, we just put a bunch of, flood the zone, right? Resources. So we have like, 200 people in U.S. Right. digital service. They can. We had a team of four. Like you know, right. so right. you know, you got scaled now, and and uh, hundreds more in 18F. So now there's capacity. So even if it doesn't make the president's desk, yep. let's do this initiative. Yep. Everyday parts of government can be materially better yep. on account of this new formula. Love it. All right, this sir. Is fun man. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, of course, man. My pleasure. This is awesome. Thanks for doing this. All right. Um, yeah, it's fun. I think uh, these are these are fun to do. So I'm glad I appreciate you for hanging out with me. Thank you.